All right, welcome back, everybody. This is Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. So the creed teaches that Jesus, after he was buried, descended into hell. And as I tweaked everybody, as a pastor, what I've observed is uh, for non-Lutherans, generally speaking, uh, and when I mean non-Lutherans, I mean most Protestants, um, this is one of the most offensive teachings of the creed. And I've run into people my entire career as a pastor who, when it comes to saying the Apostles' Creed, will refuse to say it because of this particular phrase, he descended into hell. Really? Absolutely. I never knew that. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have to take them to Scripture. And, of course, the Scriptures do indeed teach this. The New Testament does. They do. (laughs) So, you know, you have Colossians 2, verse 15, where it says that having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, namely Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the the cross. Namely, when he descends into hell, he's showing his triumph over Satan and hell because of his death on the cross. The other passage that refers to this is First uh, Peter. Are you looking up maybe the Ephesians text, or are you going to First Peter? I can. I was, yeah. Wherever you tell me where to look. Look up the Ephesians text. You know where it says he. Remember what you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, off the top of my head, I can't think of. Okay, it. Okay, yeah. well, let's go to First Peter. Let's okay. go to First Peter. Um, what I'm looking at is First Peter chapter three, and this will tie in with uh, what we were talking about before we took a break, for Christ also suffered once for sins. You notice Peter doesn't, doesn't say for some sins or most, but for sins, which means all. This is First Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So death, resurrection, in which he will claim to the spirits in prison. Interesting because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water or were saved through water, literally, the Greek says. Baptism (laughs) now saves you. Yeah, but uh, Christ was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. This is his descent into hell. So the scriptures teach this, and what's the point? Well, it, you know, uh, I think a good picture of this is the ancient practice of what you did when your military conquered in a battle. You had a triumph or an ovation in the, the city where you marched all the defeated people in front of you and the, the people were cheering and happy and excited and you declared publicly, I have defeated these people. And, and in a way, that's what Jesus goes down into hell to do, to declare that I am the victor, I won, and I am who I said I was. And that's the kind of thing that's going on. In a way, it's the um, divine, perfect, and holy version of Jesus going neener, neener, neener uh, to the defeated sin, death, and the devil, and all those who follow them. Yeah, and it's the God-man who does this. Uh, it's, he does it according to both natures. And yes. yeah, so when he descends into hell, he preached. And what does he preach? Now, this is what you have to, you have to say. He doesn't give a second chance for these people. No. Because some no, people it's, teach this. The people in prison are not purgatory. Right. That's the Catholic view, and it is not that. Or limbo. It's another. Limbo. Yeah, there's some kind of limbo between heaven and hell. Where, and, and so just so people understand, there are some Christians who believe that the descent into hell means that Christ went and released the Old Testament saints out of the grave or the, the death. Right. Yeah. 
I, I would I would disagree with that, and it, it's the well. Scripture doesn't teach that, right. of course. <laughs> That's why. Yeah, um, but he went and preached to the spirits in prison. The text says, and what would be the preaching? Well, it's not because he's going to give him a second chance, because Hebrews teaches that is appointed on a man once to die, and then the judgment. Um, what is the preaching? Satan, you are defeated. Yeah. Hell, you are conquered. Just like when he's buried, as we talked about in our you know last time. His, his burial then changes everything for our grave. It now, our, the, our grave is like a bed where our body rests for resurrection because death is not, an, uh, it's not the enemy anymore. Jesus has changed it. And so also, here now, hell is conquered. Satan, you're conquered. I won. And uh, this is what he preaches. Yeah. Uh, it's in a way, could you say he's preaching the doctrine of justification by faith? And that uh, you missed out on this train when it went by is maybe the way to say it, or? Well, I suppose you could. Uh, yeah, I think that you could. You buy. I'm not sure how to say this very well, but yeah, right. I mean, I, I won, and I think it, it it fits perfectly with the promise in Genesis 3:15 that he would crush Satan's head. He does that by his death, his burial, and now he preaches it, and he preaches it as the one who's who's the victor, and it isn't it isn't necessarily to it, it is for us and for our comfort. You see, right. Now, another thing, just I'm going to throw something out. Now, Pastor Poppy wanted to be here today, but he couldn't be here. And, of course, he's the, he's the expert on this. So maybe the next time when we get a chance, we'll ask him. But in the Roman Catholic Church, there's been quite a uh, kerfuffle, if you will, on this topic. And it comes from a Swiss theologian by the name of Hans Ur von Balthasar. And, uh, I mean, he really is the, uh, the darling, if you will, among Roman Catholic theologians and even lay people. Seriously, test me out on this, folks. Go to Roman Catholic bookstores and ask, do you have any von Balthasar? And they'll have volumes of von Balthasar. Okay? And with regard to the descent into hell, it's like, well, what, what did he really do it? And what, what happened? And it's very interesting. So he's, uh, as, as we mentioned earlier, is it a limbo? You know? Did he, did he bring out Adam and Eve and all the Old Testament saints out of the grave? Is that what, is that what he's doing? Or is this something else? And von Balthasar offers uh, a different take in the sense that the suffering of Jesus continues here. That's interesting if that's what he's teaching. That was the same thing that was taught to me when I was, um, well, in a restorationist church as a child, is that uh, Jesus' descent into hell is his continued suffering, and then it's not until the resurrection that it truly is finished, which is contrary to Scripture. I mean, Jesus himself says, as he's hanging on the cross right before he dies, it is finished, uh, which tells you what kind of preaching he's going to be doing. It's not continued suffering. The suffering of hell, if you will, takes place as he hangs on the cross and is abandoned by God. That's what hell is. And then the descent into hell the next uh, you know, the next part there is when he's proclaiming victory and continuing that it is finished preaching. So when Pastor Poppy's able to join us again, I'm going to ask him to comment about von Baltasar because he's, he's more of an expert on him than I am. I'll just leave it at that. One final point on this descent into hell, and I want to make this distinction because, you know, Scripture, we've, we've taught from Scripture when we, when we studied from Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus praised the psalm, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We said, and in connection with that, Galatians 3.13, he was made to be a curse for us. So while Jesus is hanging on the cross, still alive, bearing the sin of the world, he is also bearing the damnation 
that we all deserved. That's why he praised the psalm. Okay, So um, this is not the descent into hell. I hope you're following this, folks. So when, when, when the scriptures teach that Jesus is suffering the damnation of hell, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was made to be a curse, Galatians 3.13. That's not the descent into hell. That's different. So the suffering is when he suffers sin and all of its consequences, damnation, on the cross before he dies. Then he dies, buried, descends into hell. That's different. It's the proclamation of his victory. Devil, you're conquered. Hell, you're conquered. And by way of extension, that's good news for us. Right. Because that, that means victory for us then. And that's uh, to go back to that um, triumph picture, the people of the city watching the parade go by and the, the conquered peoples go by and the victorious general at the end of the parade, that's good news for them too because that means this is an enemy that I no longer have to defeat. It's an enemy that I no longer have to overcome. And that's the promise and truth that Thanks we have as Christians. Yeah, you need to do anything to defeat Satan. Jesus already has. Thanks be to God for that. Oh, man. Isn't that good? It's yeah. awesome. It really is. You know, this brings up where we're going to move to on the third day he rose again from the dead. But I want to just raise this topic. As I've been teaching my, my kids at Trinity Murdoch, and we, when we went over the creed, the first article, <clears throat> uh, when we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of an earth, and then Luther, of course, in his meaning in the small catechism, uh, telling us that God has made me and all creatures, given me my body, soul, etc., clothing, food, shoes, and drink, rescues me from, you know, uh, 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 danger and all evil. And then all this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. And I, I really emphasize that without any merit or worthiness in me. I told the kids, I said, you know what? If I get everything, first article stuff, because I deserve it or I've earned it, then I'm in deep trouble. God won't give me anything. And I, I asked them, do you, re- you realize that? And so I reiterated it. If God deals with us according to our merit, if God deals with me according to my worthiness, guess what? I'm not going to get anything from God. <laughs> this is the epistle lesson that we just heard from Reformation, like you talked about, um, that uh, we are saved by grace, uh, not by works. Um, and I, I just had this little chapel talk this morning with our kids here at school about that very topic. That's the reality. And there's only two religions, religion of work, religion of grace, and Christianity is the only religion of grace. All the rest are works. That's right. It's However you put it, it in. It's really only the salvational game in town. It is. <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. So on the third day, he rose from the dead. Is that what the scriptures teach? Well, they sure do. They sure do. And so we were in Matthew 27 before, you know, when we did uh, suffering, death, and resurrection. Let's go to Matthew 28 for this, shall we? So, folks, if you got your Bibles, just take a look at this. Again, I'm looking at Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, lo and behold, who shows up? Well, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, who went to see the tomb. And what's interesting here is, <clears throat> you know, when you go to the grave, and if you're going to anoint the body, you expect to find the body. Yeah, the corpse. Yeah. And lo and behold, that's not what they find. Look at verse 2. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. <laughs> and Earthquake again. Right. And, and how do we know this? Because we had people that watched it. Yeah, eyewitnesses. <laughs> that eyewitnesses that are describing it for us. By the way, I want to anticipate something that people are probably just shouting. 
I'm assuming they are, but let's just have fun with it. Well, they'll say, but reverend, it says just an, an angel as if there's one. But the other accounts say two. So there must be contradictions in the Bible, and therefore we can't trust it. And I know we're running out of time, so I'll do this quickly, and then we'll say goodbye. Is Folks, when you witness an accident and the police do their investigative uh, work on, in, on, on the accident, they'll interview all the eyewitnesses. And not all the details are the exact same because certain people see certain things, but they all saw, they all, they all saw the same accident of what happened. That's exactly what we got going on here. And when you have all the details from the witnesses exactly the same with no, no variance, then you that's know when you need to be suspicious. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, folks, I hope this has been helpful. When we come back next week, we'll rejoice in our Lord's resur- resurrection and what it means for you. In the meantime, stay Lutheran, my friends. FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Hey, welcome everybody. This is Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. My name is Brent Kuhlman. And I'm here with Adam Oline. How you doing, Adam? Very well. How about you? Good to be with you. Good to be here. Thank you. It's good. It's always good to to have this table talk program. Uh, always rejoicing in our Lord's death and resurrection for us and for our salvation. Um, recently, within the last uh, month, one of the teachers of the gospel, Norman Nagel, died and uh, went to be with the Lord, awaiting the resurrection of the body. And Dr. Nagel was one of my professors at St. Louis, and so. Uh, I wanted to uh, publicly give thanks to God for the use of Dr. Nagel in teaching us God's Word and learning how to preach properly the distinction between the law and the gospel. This is, uh, as the confessions teach, this is a glorious light to be able to do that. And as Dr. Walther, the first president of the Missouri Synod, tried to teach his students and has passed that legacy on to not only the Missouri Synod but the entire church, I think uh, that's a good reminder for us all that uh, the church, each generation, needs to be taught the faith in its truth and purity so that it can continue to be passed on and that we ought to not ne- not neglect that uh, uh, that work that is uh, very important for us to do. Yeah, and, and we just recently, too, celebrated the Festival of the Lutheran Reformation that last Sunday in October. And in connection with Dr. Nagel, uh, you know, he taught us very clearly that the law doesn't save. That's what the scriptures teach. In Romans 3, for example, which is the epistle for Reformation Day. And uh, only the gospel saves. Only the, only the gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. And that's so important because the old Adam, the world, and the devil always want to use the law as an instrument for salvation in some way, shape, or form. And so the old Adam has to be put to death, the world has to be fought, and the devil has to be fought on this. So that people will, as Paul says in Romans, Romans 1, the justified will live by faith. Faith in what? Well, faith in God's promise of forgiveness for Christ's sake. And in connection with this, with Dr. Nagel, the other thing, that he, two things I want to mention, and then we'll get back to the Apostles' Creed, is uh, before you, 
he was one of the, the few professors that we had. And I'm not saying that the, the other ones didn't teach it, but uh, he would emphasize this probably prominently and more than anybody, is the for you-ness of the gospel. And he learned this, of course, from the scriptures and how this got confessed in the Lutheran Reformation by Dr. Luther. So from scripture, for example, when you read the account of the Lord's Supper in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then uh, in Paul in 1 Corinthians, you read the words carefully. You have Jesus saying that this is, this, the take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink, this cup is the New Testament, my blood. And it's interesting that a couple of the evangelists add these words of our Lord, for you. It's for you. And then, of course, when you read Acts chapter 2, and I'm, I'll leave, then we'll clinch this, this particular. In Acts 2, when Peter preaches his Pentecost sermon, you know, the people ask, well, what should we do? Because they've been cut to the heart by his preaching. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, this promise, did you hear that? Promise, what promise? Forgiveness, gift of the Holy Spirit, given in baptism in Jesus' name. This promise is for, for you, Peter says. Now, from Scripture then, Luther learned from the Scriptures, and then Dr. Nagel passed this on to us, that the gospel is to say that Jesus died for you. Or, uh, take and eat, this is for you. Take and drink, this is for you. Now, why is this important? Here's why it's important. It's one thing for God to be God. He is. Uh, But it's another thing to say that God is for you. That is to say, God promises through his son, Jesus Christ, to act and be God for you. That's the gospel. And why is this important? Well, I've mentioned this before in previous shows that there, there's a tendency among some in the Missouri Senate to not, well, not just a tendency, but it's being categorically asserted that you shouldn't say for you, you know? Uh, I disagree with that wholeheartedly, and I give thanks to Dr. Nagel for teaching us this. The other thing, too, with regard to Dr. Nagel, he taught us, again, from the scriptures and then learning it from the Lutheran Reformation, in particular, Dr. Luther, that whatever topic it is, you always look to the Lord's word first. And like, for example, if you, if you want to learn what the Lord's Supper is, you go to the Lord's words. And so from the Lord's words, you learn what the Lord's Supper is and what it's for. And then you can diagnose everything that goes wrong in the church. So when somebody asserts, that, well, you know, when you go to communion, it's, it's, it's a symbol of the body of Christ. It's a symbol of the blood of Christ. So all you receive in the Lord's Supper is just bread and wine. And uh, you're just being obedient to the Lord and saying, see, I did it. And, of course, there's no forgiveness that's bestowed in it. Well, if you know the Lord's words, you can diagnose what's wrong with that. You know that Jesus says categorically, this bread is my body and this cup of wine is my blood. And it's given and shed for you for the remission of Sin. So the, the Dr. Nagel just, he would come into class like uh, when we would be studying the Lord's Supper or baptism or the office of the ministry, you name it. And he'd, he'd come rushing into the room, all disheveled usually because he was, he was late sometimes, most of the time. And he would come in and he'd write, he'd write the words of institution on the board, or he would say this, let's let the Lord have his say today, shall we? <laughs> yeah, I love that. So that was, that was very good. Well, again, I give thanks to the Lord for the gift of Dr. Nagel and uh, the, the passing on, as you said, the gift and teaching of God's word to us. And the uh, hope and promise we have to be reunited in God's kingdom forever and to uh, 
for all of those who didn't know Dr. Nagel or hadn't ever met him, you have that opportunity ahead of you. Yeah. And that's yeah. the good news. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It'll be fun to see if he still has his accent. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. No doubt he will. You probably don't lose all this stuff. Well, in the Apostles' Creed, we, we confess from Scripture that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And the last time we talked, we talked a lot about his burial and how this is really important. And I just want to reemphasize the fact that Jesus died for all sin. And I do this as a pastor. When I catechize or when I teach, I'll ask a, a trick question. And so I'm going to put it to you, Adam. I'll say, okay, Adam, name a sin that Jesus didn't die for. And then sometimes when I ask that, I get the eyes just go wide open. And it's like, oh, I guess when he asked that question, I guess there must be a sin that he didn't die for. So I better think of one really quick. <laughs> and, then, and then the kids or certain people will assert a certain sin. Yeah, I've I've had that same experience where people come up with things, you know, and and obvious. <laughs> uh, lots of times, it's when they're preaching to themselves or telling themselves something about um, something they've done that they think is really bad, and that it's obviously in their mind too bad, uh, so bad that Christ could never forgive something that bad for them. Um, and, and that's simply not true, and that's the good news that we have. Christ died for all sin, all time, all people, all places. And um, the only, you know, they say, okay, how come not everybody's in heaven? The only thing you're not in heaven for is not believing that that's true, uh, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, he died for all sin. Uh, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, you know, the trick question is, okay, name a sin that Jesus didn't die for. And, and the kids and the, and the people in my congregation are so used to being asked this, they know, well, there isn't any. Right. <laughs> and I, we, we rejoice in that. Yeah. Because you, seriously, if Jesus didn't die for all sin, then I can't be sure I'm saved ever. Can you? No. You can never be. Because you always have something you have to ask, well, is that one that counts or not? Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied <laughs> that the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us all. Now, the, the next trick question is, so name a sinner that Jesus left out of his Good Friday dying. And then, of course, when I ask that question, people are thinking, oh, well, there must be one or two that he well, didn't. Judas Iscariot, <laughs> you know, right. or uh, right. uh, King Saul after. Yeah. No. Uh, it, once again, it's not that their sin has kept them out of heaven. Uh, rather, it is that they don't believe that the forgiveness is for them. Uh, and that's go. I think Judas is a great example of that because um, Judas betrays Jesus and he realizes that what he's done is wrong. And he goes back to the temple priests and he throws the money in there and says, you know, uh, I've betrayed innocent blood. And they say, go deal with it yourself. And when they he hears that word... He has no hope. That's he has right. no promise. It's not that his sin's not forgiven. It's that he doesn't know that and believe that. Did you hear that, folks, when, when Pastor Moline recounted real quickly the, the, uh, the account from Scripture when Judas goes back to the pastors he made the deal with through the money on the floor, the cash that they paid him to betray Jesus, throws it on the floor, and he confesses his sin. I have betrayed innocent blood. And he's truly sorry for what he's done. He's yeah. really sorry. But he confesses. And he says, I have betrayed innocent blood. And the point I want to pick up on what you just read when you uh, did that flyby is they say, well, what's that to us? See to it yourself. The point being, a see to it yourself religion in dealing with sin leads to 
Uh huh. Despair. Exactly. And Ju- and Judas took his own life because he despaired of our Lord's forgiveness, even for him. I always use that particular scripture section to teach repentance, which has two parts. First, that we acknowledge the sin is bad and wrong and that we shouldn't do it. But second, also that believes the forgiveness that God has. The repentance has to have both those parts for it to be true, real repentance. And that's the difference between Peter and Judas. Exactly. Both sinned, both were sorry, both confessed, but who was truly the repentant man? It was Peter because he trusted that Jesus died for him and including his sin of denial three times. <clears throat> so that this is helpful for us to once again rejoice in the fact of the preaching of the gospel that Jesus died for all sin and for all sinners. And so I'm going to repeat real quickly. If Jesus didn't die for all sin, then you can never be sure that you're forgiven. And if Jesus didn't die for all people, then you can never be sure that he died for you. Now, because he did die for all sin or atoned for all sin— And because he atoned for the sin of all people, the world, therefore, when the pastor says, Jesus died for you, I'm here to tell you your sins are forgiven, and he can do it in a formal way, you know, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son. You can be sure that that's true, because he did it for all. Exactly. Yeah. What what great greater news is there than that, that when you hear that word, what's being said is true, not because... uh, you know, Kuhlman and Moline are such good-looking pastors or super smart or anything. It's because God's Word uh, is carrying the, the force of God's authority with it. Now, the next part of the creed, but before we take a break, I'm going to wet people's appetite. We're going to take the descent into hell. Are we about ready for a break, Adam? We're I think pretty so. close, so wet, wet the apple. Here. Okay, so the descent into hell, as he gets ready to play the music here, our bumper music, this is one of the most offensive teachings from the creed for Protestants in the United States. But it's what the Bible teaches. So hang on tight. We're going to examine that when we come back. So listen to us. 